everyone. Welcome to episode number 13 of Spoke, the podcast with me, your host, Scott Crawford. Today I've got uh, Chris Doss, uh, otherwise known as Chris Number 2, from the political punk band Anti-Flag, based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Been a longtime fan of, the, uh, of these guys. Uh, first checked them out in the early aughts, and they kind of got my attention by their like incredible hooks, really catchy choruses, and just a real commitment to social issues and, you know, whatever the the politics might be at the time. And they never wavered from that uh, in 20 plus years and multiple record labels. So it was great to be able to sit down with Chris um, as the band is about to embark on a tour this fall, which I'm really looking forward to. And, you know, really, I just wanted to get to know a guy that in a band that I've admired for so long. And uh, this was a real pleasure. This was a real treat. And, uh, you know, if you're not a fan of politics, this might not be your cup of tea. But we, we you know, we, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about uh, we even talk about Kung Fu theater. So I think there's something in here for everyone. If you don't own it already, last year's 2020 vision, it's the band's latest and it's a scorcher. As always, the episode is uh, sponsored by the fine folks over at Kachunk Records in Annapolis, Maryland. Music is provided by Michael Hampton and So Rob Habibian. We're off to an amazing start, but please continue to support this podcast and uh, everything we're doing here. Uh, the only way we can remain successful is for your continued support. And please, if you can, rate us on Apple Podcasts. That would go a long way in helping us reach additional listeners, and reach the attention of new sponsors, which, as you know, is the lifeblood of any sustainable podcast. So thanks for checking it out, and enjoy it. I really did. And feel free to let me know what you think of this episode, or any other, for that matter. All right, here we go. Enjoy. Thanks so much for joining me on Spoke. I really appreciate it. I am happy to be here and glad that we were finally able to uh, find each other through the internet and make yes. it happen. So yeah, yeah, long a long time fan of of the of uh, Anti Flag, and you've got an upcoming tour. I'm assuming as of today, it's still on, right? Yeah, um, I mean, all of that shit is it's there is a. Um, the conversations internally between us have kind of existed outside of whether it's like, you know, CDC guideline or any of that kind of shit. There's a morality issue um, that we're discussing internally because essentially the entirety of our band's life 
has been about carving out places for us to feel comfortable and confident in ourselves and to alleviate suffering. That's what I believe punk rock as a whole is, is we see those in marginalized and victimized communities and we do whatever we can with whatever we have, however we can do it uh, to alleviate some level of that suffering. Right. Now, with the global pandemic, coming to a city and playing a show indoors might not be a great idea. Sorry, the dog has something to say as well. But um, uh, that all being said, I think that we're going to do our best to make the shows as safe as possible the same way we do, whether it's a festival or whether it's a headline show. You know, the goal is to have people feel as comfortable and confident in that scenario as they can. Um, we're having discussions as to what that is, whether that's, you know, everyone's got to wear a mask at the show or proof of vaccination for some. And, um, but, but even in that there's, you know, a, a very valid conversation to be had about what we're demanding of people. And, um, you know, I am vaccinated and I think that people should be vaccinated, but I also, um, have a healthy distrust of the powerful and they, I don't put it beyond pharmaceutical companies to, uh, put their profits ahead of our well-being. I don't put, uh, I don't have any, um, doubt in my mind that those in positions of power of, uh, of government official and president, politician, prime minister, kingpin, pope, CIA, FBI, et cetera, et cetera isn't going to do what's in the best interest of their bottom line over what's in the interest of the human beings on this planet. So Agreed. Um, that's why I often, when we have these discussions or have interactions with those who have politicized the COVID issue, um, I don't think we're that far off. Even from the crazy QAnon folks, like I, there's a unifying distrust of the powerful there. Now, I don't need to believe that in a, you know shape shifting reptilian. Right. <laughs> like, I know right. I see I see the fact that we spend more money on healthcare and more money on war than any other nation in the world, and yeah. I go, well, there's the problem. Let's go after that. It's right in front of me. I don't need a. Uh, 7,000 layer conspiracy theory to right. get that distrust of the powerful. So that's where we're pretty far off. I totally um, get that. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, um, and you should distrust the government. And, uh, and I, I understand, you know, I have friends, I had one in particular who um, has come out and told me like, he's not getting the vaccine. Now this is a, you know, left-leaning guy that has, I've never had, we've never disagreed on anything politically. And, but, um, hadn't talked to him in a while. And the other day he told me, yeah, I'm not doing this. I, I just don't trust, I don't trust the whole process. Yeah. I don't, you know, and so it was an interesting because it wasn't a QAnon bullshit. It wasn't any of that. It was just simply 5G or microchipped or whatever. Yeah, no, you know, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't part of his, his, um, reasoning, but, uh, but so, so I, I did sort of get a, a different perspective um, on that. I'm having said that I'm fully vaccinated and, you yeah. know, um, yeah. I, I just, you know, it, for me, it comes down to 
if we need to lie to support our morality, that's where I take the issue with it. And that's the thing that you see happening from the anti-vax community, which is a consistent lie to force anecdotal things into the conversation when that's not what science is, that's not what an educated society should be, that's not what a more egalitarian or humanitarian or empathetic society should be. We should be considerate of those who are most vulnerable. And that is the simple messaging that I can get behind. It does become a blurred line when, again, the powerful do not provide the information. And that crack that they leave in there allows this type of discourse to, to, to go. And, and we just came off of four years of a Donald Trump presidency with dog whistle after dog whistle that was that, just providing space yep. for the conspiracy theory to grow. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then a week later coming back and defining, hey, okay, well, uh, when I said there were fine people on both sides, I meant this, you know, right. but that week in between gives enough space for right. the fucking uh, local chapter of fascist in your community right. to come together and be like, this guy's on our team, you know, and it um, gives, yeah. And it gives the media, the right wing media that, you know, they seize on that and they spread the disinformation and um precisely and and the antithesis of ultra right-wing media is for-profit corporate media and so that's what we're dealing with we're dealing with misinformation on both sides because obviously we're not going to have discussions about a better option for american healthcare system when the commercial that follows it is a pharmaceutical company yeah and you know so so you know, I, I do, and, and I have some friends that play in a band, and they've been pretty vocal, and they do a lot of work in Europe, and they've been pretty vocal in opposition of the vaccine passport idea. And, um, and I don't really, I'm not educated enough on all of it, of what's happening in Portugal or wherever right. they're based primarily to know. Um, what they're going through, but there have been mass protests in France and some yeah. other places against this this idea. And again, I, I'm always on the side of the vulnerable. And so I feel as if there's a kinship to this distrust and this this um, inability to have clarity. And, um, you know, that's what our last record is about. Completely, yeah. Is, 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 just trying to see things clearly. There, there yeah. were moments in our lives where you can say, well, this is moral, this is immoral, this is black, this is white. And, and things are, that line is far blurrier now than it's ever been. And, and so navigating this world is extremely difficult, especially for young people and especially for um, people that haven't built systems within their lives so that they can feel comfortable and feel okay all the time. Yeah. You know, like, like uh, I, I feel really bad for, for young people and young artists and everybody trying to navigate this world. Um, but at the same time, you know, our culture is changing. Our lexicon is changing. There are growing pains that come with all of those changes. And, you know, people like yourself and myself, we have to learn some new words and we yeah. have to learn how to communicate in new ways. And 
that's all part of society advancing. So absolutely. I, as an eternal optimist, and I wouldn't play punk rock music if I didn't have that within me. Um, I know it feels like, fuck, man, everywhere you turn, we can't just put each other first. It's all about the individual. Um, but that, that's got to change. That's unsustainable. So I, I, I feel as if we are on a more virtuous path than maybe it seems. This is just the discomfort before. The yeah, that's my that's my hope as well. And when my, you know, it's it 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 breaks my heart to watch my kids having to go through this as they approach well, uh, summer in college and summer in high school. And yeah. I mean, I don't have that many, but uh, <laughs> but and it's just I know that um, they're dealing with it in ways that I'm not even. I don't even know if they can articulate, but I, I um, but I know it's got to feel hopeless uh, at times. And um, oh yeah, I, and I mean, it's 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 fucking crazy because our often cited anecdotal references for how out of touch financially um, America has become often are like, well, in the 50s, you went to college for $10,000 and now it's 100000 yeah. But you don't even have to go back that far. You can go back to 2009 and see that people that acquired wealth in 2009, where they're at now versus people who acquired sure. wealth in 2012 or whatever. I mean, it is, it is unsustainable, the path that we are on. Yeah. And um, both for the planet and, and for the people that live on it. So I am excited by the possibility of a better world and consistently excited about that possibility. And the one thing that I will take away, the silver lining of all of this mess, is that there are people, especially young people, who are so hungry for yeah. anything that's empathetical. Yeah. I mean, you fucking see it when Nike makes a Colin Kaepernick shoe. Yep. And it's like, boom, it's the number one thing because yeah. people are just so driven by, well, what is, you know, and, and that's going to lead to a lot of, you know, performative shit and those discussions that we can have. But I also scrape silver linings out of all those because yeah. people will get involved in activism and get involved in, in um, worlds that are far more just because of that. And, you know, the, Folks that just come in and out of it, they're going to come in and out of it no matter what. You know, um, we should be focused on who is still here and who is yeah. sticking around and who's still doing the work. That's yeah, because even you know when I was younger, it would bum me out when I would go to activist meetings about various causes, and you know you'd see the people come in and out, and I used to call them tourists, you know, because I was a mm -hmm. smug asshole. But um, <laughs> but but the. <laughs> But the way I look at it now is, okay, well, they decided to leave and move on to something else. But who knows what that thing is? It wasn't right for me to judge them at the time. I assume that they just got bored and moved on. Yeah. But, you know, the point is, is that you're allowed to, you know, life is like a journey, right? So you're allowed to, like, be curious about something, go to a few meetings or, or, or go to one or two protests or whatever and decide it's not your thing. But I'd like to think that it becomes you know, you at least think more than you ever did before. 
Yeah, I mean, and 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 you know, it took it's taken it takes all of us a long time to recognize that activism isn't a competition. Yeah, and um, based on that, I truthfully believe that people that come in contact with this world, they they get changed forever, yeah. and it might not manifest itself in the way that we want it to, right. like. That's my it would point. be yeah. sick, yeah. <laughs> that if everybody took away the same thing, and yeah. you know, but some people just go, come in to the world. They experience the thing. They they you know learn a little bit about themselves and a little bit about the world, and then they go and they're a banker, and then maybe that banker is a nice banker right. <laughs> because we need a nice banker every once in a while because we got a system of banks right now. You exactly. Know? I hope that guy never has a job again in the future, but <laughs> you know, yeah. it's my, that's my socialism showing the, the, um, the thing that I'll say is both you and I have this, um, luxury more so than, um, people that haven't been involved in punk rock and activism for as long as we have. The time allows a zoom out to happen. And I'll interact with people all the time, and I'm sure you interact with people who've seen your films or read things that you've written, and they tell you, hey, I got into this because of X, Y, and Z, yeah. and now this is what I'm doing with it. And you don't get that luxury if you started a band six months ago, and then you go on your That's first tour or whatever, and you're like, well, is this working? I'm banging my head against the yeah. wall. Does anybody care? Is this sticking? And all I can tell you is stick around. You'll be surprised at how many people interact with your art and tell you in the future that it had an impact on them and that they do really great, amazing things. And so, yeah, you were a small part of that. That's so true. And it's so humbling. And I think, um, yeah, it's like, um, you know, I remember when I was a kid and I, and I talked to Ian for the first time, um, I think it's sort of a rite of passage when you grew up in DC to kind of have that first experience with Ian and he, he would, he would impart some knowledge on you or some great advice or something. And I remember him just saying like, uh, he would, he had, this was like right after minor thread had broken up, he was really kind of down on the scene. It was kind of this lull. There wasn't really much happening here in DC. A lot of bands had broken up and the skinhead thing and kind of was really exploding. And he just said, um, you know, I went up to a kid at a show the other day. He looked like he was probably your age. And I said, you know, why are you here? Like, what brought you out? And the kid said, well, you know, I just wanted to slam. And Ian just went, man, you know, and he said, that guy's going to be gone in six months. You'll never see him again. Yeah. And I got his point, you know, and I, and I made a real impact on me. And I, I never wanted to be considered one of those kids. You know, I wanted to you know yeah, I mean, playing a band and he's got um he's got a tremendous um ability to dissect these interactions and make them meaningful yeah. um i for me it's like yo i came and you were here and that was exciting to me and i hope and i hope that i hope that you stay but it's out of my control whether you do or you don't exactly the only thing is i can present these ideas in a way that I think are important, um, that I think has staying power, 
uh, I'm trying to express to the people that come to our shows or come into the punk rock scene that we're a part of and let them know that if you are looking for a world that is void of the racist systems that we have, that is void of the homophobia and the transphobia and the Islamophobia and the xenophobia and the, the bigotry of any and all kind that you see happen on a daily basis because we have a system that cares more about profit than it does about people. There's this thing that's happening over here and you might take something away from it. Right. Yeah. I also know that there are people that do a similar thing in a very different way. And I'm, I have no idea um, which way is right or which way is wrong. The sure. only thing that I can say is that the things that are in my control, the things that changed my life, the interactions that I had at important times all came from a community that cared more, cared about more than just itself. Yeah. And, um, uh, and so that's just what we try to do with our band. And, um, I'm grateful for every day that we get to, to go around and do it and interact with people. But I also am just like, same way, you know, sure. You play a warp tour. There's a kid there who's going to come watch your show and then you're never going to see him again, you know, but it's counterproductive for me to waste my time on that. Yeah, that's okay. You People know. that are here right now, and they're yeah. always going to be here, and that's that's far more important. That relationship is way more important to me. Uh, now, when we play the big festival, the kid who's buying nachos, yeah, way in the back, like I want to make sure that they know that there's a band who's staunchly anti-racist, anti-fascist, and you know wants to end the sale of weaponry globally, and we're yeah. going to shout it through our microphones and amplifiers. You know, hope that they get that. But what they do with that information, again, that's out of my control. You know? Right. Um, they know it's, it exists, and hopefully it's something that they want to be a part of. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, before I, I, I talk to you um, this morning, um, I, I noticed a headline, and it was talking about COVID and just the war on COVID. And now there's a new war. And I you think it was George Carlin that pointed out maybe 20 years ago or something that as a country, in order for us to get behind something, to, to want to fight it and to rally, we have to declare war on it. Mm -hmm. Have you ever noticed that? Is I think that's, you know, something that's very specifically American. Well, yeah, I mean, because we're a country that's been at war since our inception. And so that is war is as American as rotten apple pie. I mean, that's yeah. the, that's what we are uh, as a society. And that's, and when you look at where our money is spent and you look at where your tax dollars go, they go to war, they fund war. That's all we are is, is war. And um, people don't realize that and it's become normalized. And, you know, one of the things that we, um, you know, had this kind of interesting realization was when we went to Crimea uh, or we went to the Ukraine during the Crimean uh, conflict and everyone in our families was like, you can't go to the Ukraine. They're at war. Um, it's very scary there. You're going to get caught up in whatever conflict is happening there. And I'm like, do you know 
how at war America <laughs> we're at war all the time I mean that's all we have yeah. and so I think that it's really interesting that you you know bring up the war on COVID you know similar to the war on drugs similar to exactly you know war on terrorism yep. these are wars on ideas these yep. are you know this is not a winnable thing the war on jealousy is not a thing that's gonna that's right <laughs> but we need to use that language in order in order for us to kind of rally behind something in big it numbers make, it makes sense to the middle american yeah you know and that's and that's ultimately i think what the george carlin bit comes to is yeah if if you want to if you want to have your conversation make sense to somebody who again, is worried about where their job is going, how sure. they're going to put food on the table, how they're going to educate their kids, how they're going to live day-to-day -day lives. It has to be written in these broad strokes. Yeah. Because when you're – and this is what capitalism demands. Capitalism demands dire straits yeah. out of the working class and the poor. And so when you're consistently under this duress – how do we get you to care about your neighbor? That's right. You can only care about yourself. You're only worried about feeding your kids or you know the roof over your head. And so do you, you put these big ideas out there that, okay, well, this we're at war now. Now we're now we can get your attention and get your, you know, this will be valuable to you. Right. Um, and that's frustrating, but that's the society that we currently live in. Um, I do believe that. You know, all the big scary things, whether it's communism, whether it's socialism, whether it's universal health care, universal education, all of these red flags that um, our parents got to hide behind and build these systems that we're currently living under uh, out of fear of, those are far less scary than they've ever been, especially to young people. So uh, going back to my optimist take, I, I think that the writing's on the wall for all of this shit. Um, people are concerned about where the things they put in and on their body come from. And yeah. um, as that education grows, I'm really hopeful and, and, and optimistic that we'll have a world that is more egalitarian in the things that it produces and the things that it consumes. I love your optimism. Uh, I need to, um, can you send me some? <laughs> Um, it so, is only in Pittsburgh. It <laughs> must be in the water or something up in Pittsburgh. Yeah, that's lead. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> touche. Um, so, uh, how do you define patriot patriotism? Oh, that, that's interesting. Um, it's become so perverted. It's not a thing yeah. that I even think about. You yeah. know. Um, the the I guess the closest thing I personally have to patriotism is my love of watching people triumph. And yeah. so when I'm watching the Olympics now, I'm like, okay, go person, because mm -hmm. they just showed me your backstory because you're an American. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm sure somebody else on the track has a compelling backstory too, right. but they can show me theirs. Yeah. Uh, I just watched yours. I'm, I feel cosmically connected to you because you have this adversity in your life and yeah. I'm rooting for you, you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't give a fuck about, uh, uh, metal counts or, you know, any of those type of things, but, 
the human side of all of this stuff is very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and so I assume that that would be my definition of patriotism too, is more on the human side. You know, yeah. like the reason that we staunchly say we are anti-flag from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania every time we play is a, is a form of patriotism. We're grateful that our family is from here and that my mom was willing to come across on a boat when she was 13 years old from Italy and, you know, do the damn thing. And, um, that legacy and that lineage is important and valuable. Um, I also know that, you know, again, speaking of lexicon and, and, and new worlds, the discussion on colonialism is at an all time high and yep. one that is very valuable. And it's one that we've been, a, you know, it's a major part of the band name. It's this this idea of nationalism and having this pride in where you're yeah. from when we're on stolen land. That's something that the band has been discussing from its inception. But yeah, now we're now we're learning more about ways we can be better stewards of the earth and the planet. And you're learning a lot of those lessons from you know thousand year old indigenous work that have laid that, um, created that blueprint, you know? So I think that, um, it's interesting, the cyclical nature of all of those things, but, um, it's kind of a long winded answer to your question that I'm not answering. I don't really care about patriotism. <laughs> <laughs> my point is part of my point is that I have, I'm always of the mind that, that dissent is a patriotic act. I even, this may not be a popular opinion, um, but I actually see a burning of the flag as a patriotic um, symbol because you can. Yeah. And, um, and, and now you, and, and you can call your band anti-flag um, and, and you can do, so I, I have maybe a, a weird take on that, but that's just, um, that's just. I will tell you that, you know, anti-flag circa 2000 was very comparable on that talking point is this is patriotic work dissent is patriotic protest is patriotic etc cetera, etc cetera. the idea specifically coming out of the second gulf war yeah. and post 9-11 perversion of patriotism that's where things got funky in the last and so and so for me it became a, a much harder line to define because anything um any way that you could say i love america felt wrong to me yeah. when america killed a million iraqis for oil and yeah. to get back at the guy who tried to kill george bush's dad that to me was like yo fuck it all Right. You know, and so yeah. I, I think that um, um, I, I, I do believe in what you're saying and what the sentiment is, because, uh, you know, ultimately that is, you know, and that that's harkens back to democracy as a whole in the beginning of America. And, yeah. you know, Boston Tea Party, all of these things that people, especially QAnon and crazies love to uh, reference 
were all acts of protest. That's <laughs> right. You know, and, and so it just shows their mental gymnastics to uh, 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 associate that with somebody like a billionaire from Manhattan <laughs> is the man of the people all of a sudden. But yeah. again, yeah. that shit's out of my control. I'm not, yeah. like, none of my songs are going to change that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And don't get me started on the space thing. Like I, I just, yeah. I'm again, yeah. I, I know it's not a popular opinion for some, but I just don't give a fuck about the space race, billionaire space race. I, I, we've got too many things going on, on this, you Dude's, know, dudes didn't even get a hundred miles into space. Yeah. And it's infinite. Exactly. <laughs> it's like you don't pat yourself on the back for fucking taking a really expensive taxi further than anybody's ever got. Like it's, Who yeah. Who cares? It, yeah. It, it's, it's, it is not a moment of American exceptionalism that we should be applauding. Um, it is a moment and a great reflection in a mirror of the failures of American economics. And that's what our takeaway should be. Yep. Um, I know that many people used their brightest and best minds to get these people in these positions of power to the, to the edge of space as they've gone. Yeah. I'm grateful that we have such talented and smart individuals on this planet. I also know that you could not be at peak pandemic, at peak um, climate disaster and catastrophe, and waste those kind of resources. It's it's immoral, and that's again some of these issues are that black and white. And I'm grateful that that one is. And we could be like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, fuck these guys. Right. Let's, let's move yeah. on to the next thing, you know? Like yeah. there, there are some more challenging discussions there. I mean, the optics are so bad on that. I mean, just think about it. People were, you know, very excited. But as you said, it took a lot of brilliant people to make that happen. It also took a hell of a lot of money to make that happen. And yet, you know, we're obsessed with it. Yeah, or the media is obsessed with it, and and I, I guess to a smaller degree the country is. But I just it, it, it's just um, I couldn't wrap my head around why it was so important right now. Like yeah. right now, we've got you know not to mention the fucking Amazon workers that are making. Well, I mean, yeah, that's you know, it. I mean, when when Homeboy comes down and he and he, he thanks, thanks the the every employee and every customer, and you're just like. Man, this is this is the scourge of humanity. This is literally we are watching. It, it's a Muppet Christmas Carol, <laughs> yet uh, exacerbate Scrooge, and he's in a fucking dick-shaped spaceship. Yep. You know, like, yep. like, like that's and and the disparity of wealth inequality uh -oh. is greater than ever, and yeah. so. It's just unfathomable to people. I think Thanks in part to a him. trillion dollars, a hundred billion dollars, all of this amount of money is so unfathomable to people yeah. that we allow it to exist because it's not real. Um, yeah, just it's it, it's beyond our sort of comprehension. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I understand maybe um, I wasn't of that generation. Uh, it was a generation, I guess, before me, but. I can understand to some degree the romance of, 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 you know, landing on the moon and how that maybe brought the country together. But that was, first of all, that was NASA. It was not some, you know, 
billionaire douche nozzle, you know, and, and, you know, there's science, but, you know, I, but again, it's just, maybe it's just me. I just, it's never been space travel and all of that. It's never been an interest of mine. So maybe that's <laughs> part of why I'm bitching about it, but. Yeah. Well, again, it's all, it's all interesting to me. And I think that, that, that the fact that we have people within it, within, um, who hold it within their wherewithal to put human beings into space is an incredible feat. Sure. We can do both. We can feed the hungry and house the houseless and still put a person in a penis shaped rocket and bring them home. Like for for sure. They're not, we're just not doing it. We're just not doing, we're active. And that's the immorality of the billionaire in 2021 is you have the ability to solve this problem and you're actively choosing not to. That is the immorality of American politics in 2021. You have the ability to build two less bombs and feed this many people. You have the ability to give healthcare to this many people if you don't build this plane, but you are actively choosing profit over humans. And that is, and that's the right and the wrong. And that's where, you know, again, going back to what we were talking about, I don't know if it was before we hit record or right when we hit record, but this conspiracy theorist shit that's happening in our world, you don't have to look too far to find the immorality of American politics. You don't need a fucking secret pedophilia ring in a pizza shop seven meters under the ground. Like, it's yeah. happening right here. They're actively choosing corporations and actively choosing a economy based on war and suffering over yeah. helping people. And the, the objective of government, no matter socialist, Democrat, communist, is to take care of its people. And that is the American, the great American failure, is we yeah, have well, a system that is not taking care of its people. Yeah, we've lost sight of that a long time ago. It is not a stretch in my imagination to go to a person in Ohio who is voting for a Donald Trump over a Joe Biden or over a Bernie Sanders or over and anybody because Donald Trump says, I'm going to build a wall and save your job because all they want to do is take care of their family and keep a roof over their head. The same way a person would walk a thousand miles with their kid to cross a border yeah. Because you're doing whatever you can with whatever you can, however you can, to alleviate suffering. So I feel like we're not far off in this. Uh, and that comes back to my initial take of optimism is that these things aren't vacuum problems. And right. if people are given the option, I truly believe they'll do the right thing. It's just that that morality is becoming increasingly more difficult to see in an age of disinformation in an age yeah. of covid in an age of whatever the fuck we're going to be living through next next so yeah I, no it's true I, I, I struggle a bit with it from time to time but ultimately reserve myself to the fact that none of it it's none of it's sustainable it's not sustainable for exxon Mobil to right. keep digging oil and right. they know that and so I love I, I love the idea that um, you know 
Extinction Rebellion or Greta Thunberg or somebody are going to be the catalyst of environmental change in the world. I ultimately know it's going to come down to economics and it's going to be a hundred government says, well, this is what we need to do now because we want to be ahead of the curve and be making money off of these things, you know, yeah, we can I think no that's, longer squeeze. The plan. Yeah. That's why things are so uh, slow to, um, to swing that way because they just haven't figured out a way to monetize, you know, to, to make a profit. Um, yeah, and yet I mean, it's there's not like there's not an entire industry based around music and film that dealt with the same thing, you know, right. where it was, okay, well, now everybody can get your shit for free. <laughs> How are you going to monetize mm -hmm. that? You know, and that's, that's it. That's consistently what it is. That's what Amazon is. That's what all of it yeah. is. It's, it's somebody finding the new way to monetize the thing. Um, and, you know, that is maybe the most cynical take that you'll get out of me today. <laughs> <laughs> well, While keeping score of optimist versus cynicism. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, all right. So let me switch gears for a second. Who, um, who currently is, are, are your heroes? Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm speaking musically. Um, who's out there doing stuff that you feel like is kind of in line with, with uh, what you're trying to do with your band? Um, that's interesting. I think that what I'm noticing, um, in punk rock in general, especially from young people, whether it's a band like Pink Shift, who are from the Baltimore DC area, um, a band like Soul Glow from Philadelphia, um, uh, the Homeless Gospel Choir, who are from Pittsburgh, and maybe the Homeless Gospel Choir doesn't fall into this category as much as some of the others um their politics are lived um and 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 that's not to say that anti-flags politics aren't aren't lived as well but they are not the cornerstone of their art it's just universally known that young people creating art right now they're non-binary they're people of color they're from all walks of life and their art is dictating what they feel not an interest in reshaping or changing society. Right. And that is different than what anti-flag has done. And, and, and that's something that we like have been stealing from, you know, like, um, <laughs> it's like, uh, anytime we're around one of these young bands, we just like, like an alien, like suck the, <laughs> yeah, the yeah. knowledge from them. You yeah. know? It's one of the things that we've been trying to do over the last three or four records um, since American Spring is find a way to communicate these ideas in a modern setting. Mm -hmm. And what I have found is, again, it's not so much about the politic as it's just understood these are the rules, you know, and they're egalitarian and they are and and maybe before, you know, we needed to have the no sexism, no racism, homophobia, yada, 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 sign up at the punk show because racists were coming or whatever. Right. Now they've the community is built. So what's the next level? What's the extrapolation on those ideas? How do we how do we do it? And it and it's in representation. It's in um 
it's in changing sonics, it's in being open to what I consider like, you know, because you have a phone that has every song in the world that was ever written on it, genre is irrelevant. Yeah. Intention is the relevancy. And yeah. so that's one of the things that has often, especially over our last three records, ruffled the feathers of the person who bought the album in 1993 and wants right. to sound like Die for the Government. Right. I'm not that person anymore. Right. I can't write that record anymore. So rather think, than force it, we've allowed ourselves to explore sonic changes and explore who we work with. We don't work, generally don't record our records with people with punk rock backgrounds. Right. Because I'm not interested in the four of us talking about our favorite dead Kennedy's record. <laughs> right. <laughs> you want, no, I get it. You, you want uh, a different perspective and a different approach. And, um, and, and I admire that about, about you guys. And I think that um, it's much more honest to say what you just said, than there are other bands out there um, that play a lot of punk rock festivals and continue to put out records and it's to me they're you know a lot i'm sure they're great people but to me it's it 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 feels it doesn't feel genuine to me it feels like you're they're recording they're making music the way they think they should because of that one album they made in like 1988 and they gotta keep that audience and uh and so that never that just rings like kind of it's just uh, it's hard to get behind a band that, that does that. I, I'd much rather see a band evolve yeah. while still maintaining their core kind of, um, you know, ideals. Than... I try not to speak ill of any of our records because they are like children to us. We worked on them all, you know. Yeah. But I will tell you, we've been on that endless escalator where it is the record is a vehicle to tour where we make our money and how we survive as human beings is by touring. Yeah. So the record is just a mediation to get to the touring. Sure. We did about two of those records from between 2008 to 2012. And we're just like, okay, well, we know how to write anti-flag songs. We took the money from when we signed to the major and we built our own studio. Um, we invested in ourselves. We invested in some things here in Pittsburgh and we made our deal with the devil. It was a two record deal. We did our two records. We were free. Um, so we just kind of shat them out. It was just like, we know how to make anti-flag songs. I know how to hit record on a yeah. computer. Here we go. You know, we got and this yeah. to some people. They love those records because they hit them at the right point in time. When I look back on them, I see a band who was treading water. Hmm. And that doesn't mean that some of the sentiments that we wrote about or some of the songs aren't important or they weren't viable things because we were still having similar discussions that we had at the beginning yeah. and that we hold to this day, which is what is the intention of the song? Why does it deserve to exist? We have songs about these issues in the past. Have we made a better one? You know, that's the only reason to keep doing it is to tr try to be better. Sure. We had all those similar conversations, but they were, you know, this is really funny to say, but uh, our drummer Pat is, um, uh, 
he's like the weirdest eater in the world. Like, <laughs> he um, he eats cereal with water. You know, like <laughs> like loves carbs. But yeah. he says a hot dog is just a vehicle for condiments because the only thing he's interested in is the condiments. And I'm like, I, I just, okay. I've had a nice hot dog before and the bun is good too. But, but anyways, I don't want to get I see, the, I see his point though. Yeah. 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 And ultimately for a lot of the scene that you were talking about of aging, uh, 90s punkers, the record is just a vehicle to tour and yeah. we have had so many and, and I, I i hate talking about this because it comes across as being like yo anti-flags winning and band x y and z is losing it's not a competition i i don't believe that at all we've also never had a, a huge record that's something that like some bands especially of those 90s punk bands yeah we missed it. Like it, it was already on the way down when anti flag right. began. Then we had the second major label boom in the early aughts. Right. We signed to the major in 2004. And our biggest record is the record on the major, which sold about 250,000 copies in the States. Was that Bright Lights? Uh, no, that was for Blood and Empire. Oh, okay. Our second biggest record is the Terror State, which sold 210,000 copies. And, you know, from that, our newest our last two records are our most streamed records, you know? So it's, right. it, it, we don't, we don't have this one album that sold 500,000 copies. And then we've just been chasing that same thing. Sure. Anti-Flag has like five records that all have over a hundred thousand copies sold. And right. we're grateful for that, but there's not that like one thing. So for some people they're like, Yo, Anti-Flag underground network is my favorite Anti-Flag. Some people they're like, die for the government is my favorite Anti-Flag. And then we learned like, well, we can't replicate all of these <laughs> on a record because yeah. they're six different bands with six different intentions. Sure. And, yeah. Um, you so, yeah. And so again, not to speak ill on, on some of those bands, but it happens all the time where people come up to me, friends and bands, and they say, why, when you play a, a song from your new album in 2019, do people respond to it the way they do your songs from, you know, like we'll play American Attraction, which is arguably our biggest song off of American Fall 2017. Brandenburg Gate off of American Spring, which is our biggest song 2015. Um, this song, Hate Conquers All, off of our newest album. We'll play those all at festivals right next to Fuck Police Brutality, Die for the Government, Turncoat, and Press Corps. And they are equal in reaction. There's no, just going nuts. Yeah. And, and they're like, well, how do you do that? And we just play them. That's the problem is people put out new records. They play the new song and the audience doesn't react to it the way they want them to. Then so they, they go, okay, well, let's just play the old shit. That's what people want to hear. And it's like, no, fuck that. We're going to, this is important. We're going to play this. We're going to share this. We're going to explain why it's important to us. Yeah. And do that extra bit of work uh, talking to the audience about the song or maybe extrapolating what the writing process was or doing any of those things. Like if you believe in the art that you're creating now, it should be viable. You should be able to have relevancy with it. And, um, you know, it's the same advice I would give to a young band, which is just if you believe in the thing that you're doing, don't change it because it gets a 
different reaction different response than you had wanted, you know? right um so so yeah i mean i i i hear what you're saying and, and i do wish um a lot of our friends and bands saw because i'm trying to say this without talking shit no i understand because there's no money in making records yeah people don't think they're important right and i disagree that's our legacy that is the thing that someone's going to trip over and say yo why didn't people give a fuck about yeah police violence in america in 2020 and then they're going to be like oh well i found this here's a document of someone that did yeah Yeah. (laughs) that they at least tried you know and like to me that's important it isn't valuable to go on the record on the record (laughs) and say this is what's happening now this is our take on it this is why we believe you know in the value of presenting these ideas over just the complacency of not and And um you're staying relevant that way and you're staying but you're still yeah i mean you're not it's you're not just by the numbers and um and you i would think most audiences could see through that if i can see it i you know i'd like to think that most people can but that's okay. I'm not, you look, if that works for them. That's fine. But I, 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 you know, I'm more impressed with what you guys do where you, um, like I said, you remain relevant and you stick to the topics that are of, that are affecting you in the here and now. Yeah. And, and every album reflects that. And I think that that was, you know, that is, we're consistently working on the, on the craft. I mean, we met Billy Bragg when we were kids. Wow. And um, that must have made a big impression. Oh, it was incredible. And 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 we went and saw the show. And um, after the show, literally cornered Billy and was like, "This is what we're doing. This is our band. This is what we want to do." And in you know, very akin to any in Mackay where only speaks in quotable <laughs> yes. nuggets of knowledge. They're both very quotable people. Yeah. Billy was just like, yo, you catch more flies with honey. If yep. the things you are saying are important, present them in a way that will connect with people. And essentially in a very nice way, he said, stop writing shitty songs and write a better song. If you want the world to change because of your art. Yeah. And or if you want people to be attracted to your art and then find an army of people that are going to change the world. Right. And that's all we've been doing every day. Every record is like, how do we write a better song than we wrote before? I want you to walk away humming the vocal melody or humming the guitar line or humming the bass line or whatever. And then later go like, what am I humming? <laughs> it's a song about fucking depleted uranium or it's right. like, like that to me is the win. How do we make right. these really larger than life, bigger than the individual issues stick with someone throughout their day? And sure. that's consistently the, 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 the work, you know? Um, and then I also like, savage punk too like i want to write a song like naked ray gun or yeah like you know so you know that that to me is a you know there's always going to be those type of songs but then we are like the beatles are my favorite rock band um and even when they were playing sitars they knew (laughs) but baby you can drive my car on the phone 
<laughs> and so there is some part of me that is consistently like, yeah, we got to at least make sure we cover this base. Even as experimental as we get, as much as we might chase the new lexicon and the new language and the new yeah. communication, we always have to make sure that we're in our wheelhouse, at least for a little bit here. Um, and, um, and you know, it, how it's received and how it gets shared all of that stuff's a little bit out of our control. The only sure. thing we can control is what it is and what it looks like and, and, and how it feels. You've always got the hooks. The hooks are always there. And they're monster hooks, by the way. It flies with honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. Thank you. Yeah. He's responsible for all of that. That's right. So, all right. Very serious question. I've seen the photos. I've seen the live footage. How the hell do you get so much height on your jumps? Is there like a trampoline behind your base rig or something? Oh, no trampoline. Sometimes I wish there was a lot easier. So I don't know when it was. It was somewhere, I don't know, must have been 2001 or two. We played with a band who shall remain nameless. Okay. But they played their show. And at the end of their show, the singer climbed on top of um, – base cabinet and climbed on top of something else and he was up pretty high and it was a very climactic end of the show and then the song finished and he proceeded to climb down and i said to myself if i ever find myself on top of something i'm leaping off of it it doesn't matter how high it is what the repercussions are i will never have this climactic moment and then climb down scurry down yeah, yeah. so a lot of what you see and a lot of what is presented is just various things that I've found, I've climbed, and then I get up there and I go, fuck, I have this roll from when I was 17 and now I ain't 17 anymore. <laughs> so it's uh, consistently about, uh, I hope that my knees last one more of these, you know, that's yeah. the um, I want you to break your hip or anything. Yeah, I mean that's coming. Um, that's coming. <laughs> I, uh, uh, the, during the pandemic, I um, have been taking kung fu uh, lessons. Oh, really? So I'm actually strict. tell me about that. Yeah, it's so um, the thing I got into or re rekindled my love of kung fu films. Everybody was kung fu. Yeah. And um, I've always been fascinated with like Kung Fu aesthetics and in China and Shaolin specifically. And so I started virtually taking lessons from a 34th generation Shaolin master. Whoa. And um, uh, I started really heavily. I was doing two hours a day, five days a week for eight months, maybe nine months straight. And now I'm down to about one hour a day, three, four times a week with them. Um, and it's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm considerably more, uh, limber, considerably more limber, <laughs> but the thing I've, I've, the breathing techniques and the Qigong and the, un, and the ability to take it in and, and see and process the world and then evacuate the negativity that's been the most, the, the, that was my least 
uh, as far as things, reasons why I started doing Kung Fu, that was the number 10 reason why, and it's become the number one benefit of it. Because yeah. I, I also play ice hockey, and like I found that places where I would get really frustrated or you know angry at other players or myself or the team or whatever, I don't do that anymore. And it's like subconsciously through the breathing and through the Qigong in the mornings and those type of things, I'm just way more chill right now. And um, so yeah. I, I'm really grateful for that because I've, I know that this world we're living in has processed people to be the antithesis of that. Yeah, no, and we're just, you know, kind of wired to be the opposite of that. Um, yeah. That's pretty badass, man. Like, so were you, um, were you like a Kung Fu movie kid? Did you like Kung Fu movies? I used to watch, uh, it was like every Saturday, it was Kung Fu um, afternoon, Kung Fu theater or something Kung like that. Theater, yeah. So interesting thing about Kung Fu theater why it began was the only places that were showing Kung Fu movies were in the ghetto yeah, and, and in Harlem and things. And so the scared white parents petitioned to put the Kung Fu movies on PBS so that people would stop going into the cities to watch Kung Fu. Their kids would stop watching Kung Fu films in the city. And so I have no idea. that's what the first break dancing and all kinds of yeah, yeah. Wu-Tang Clan have records about it uh you don't sure. need me but um but yeah so so that was a little bit before i i didn't get kung fu theater but some of the other guys in anti-flag whenever i started mentioning doing kung fu they were like yo kung fu theater and i was yeah. like oh, fuck, yeah. i missed that um but um but yeah I, I for me it definitely my kinship came from like it started obviously in the 80s with a karate kid sure and, and jean-claude van damme yeah, uh, Bloodsport was my favorite movie. Oh yeah, and um, and so I got into a little bit of martial arts at that time, mostly karate because karate became really big in America. Every yeah. there was a CS Kim Karate Club on every corner. So um, so from there, um, obviously I never did anything with my karate <laughs> passion. Uh, 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 but yeah, I just always loved loved kung fu and and you know not to get we can have a whole chinese and communism discussion sure. but um something about the structure and the discipline of it seemed really important to me in this moment mm -hmm. and so that's what really it it moved from yeah i really enjoy these like kind of kitschy kung fu movies um to really, I, I, I want to explore what Shaolin discipline is like and what it would, the benefits I could take from it, especially knowing that there was going to be at least a year before I was back to doing the things that are considered normal in my life. And, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to be in Europe. Um, but my, my Shifu uh, master is based in, in Northern Ireland and um, we're going to have a, uh, couple weeks off during our next summer European tour. So I'm going to go and train and live there for a few weeks. And nice. that'll be the culmination of this Kung Fu path I'm on is go there, actually get beat up by the master, not just right. virtually and see if I, how you hold up, 
Exactly. <laughs> that might be the end of my Kung Fu. Right, exactly. This ain't for me. Yeah, so we'll see. Can we do like a pay-per-view on that? Because I can <laughs> Nobody wants to see me cry. For oh, me. I'd pay for it. Not to see you cry. <laughs> I don't want to see you cry, but you know. <laughs> um, but no, that's great. So last question. So you've been at this 20, uh, over 20 years. I'm sure you've met, you know, tons of, of uh people you admire um, over the years. And I learned a long time ago to, you know, a writer gave me some advice one time and, you know, it wasn't like it hasn't been already said before, but, um, you know, be careful when you meet your heroes. Mm -hmm. And, and I learned that early on. I met a few folks that I really admired and they turned out to just not be what I had hoped they would be. So, uh, and uh, I'm just wondering if you've met, um, you know, heroes that you've admired and they maintained, like they didn't let you down. Like, yeah, yeah. That was a really clunky way of asking the question. No, but. I, I, I've been fortunate enough that most of the people that I've interacted with on that level um, have not let me down in a personal capacity in that moment. They've maybe let me down later. Like, you know, I love the Dead Kennedys. Um, I still love Jello Biafra. I wasn't stoked when they're like, go Mitt Romney. <laughs> you know, like, like what beef aside between alternative tentacles and, and, and that side. I just don't like the Dead Kennedys, A, being on the internet at 70 years old and, and uh, C, fucking, uh, uh, sorry. Yeah. Say that again. Let's um, just let's just have you say that again. Yeah, I was just I was just saying that um, I wasn't happy to see the Dead Kennedys tweet about Mitt Romney and that they were grateful that he went against Trump or whatever it was. You don't get absolved of your sins uh, in American politics just because you don't like Donald Trump. Um, but you know whether it's the what side of the line you're on you're like i'm pro jello i'm yeah anti rest of the dead kennedys or whatever right. like i never prescribed all of that because there were a lot of ins and outs in that and and i don't know up from down you know sure, um, sure. Uh, but i did you know being a a bass player um for me you know meeting those guys in the dead kennedys and 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 how important they are in their musicality was like that's probably the most overlooked thing about the dead kennedys is they were supremely the greatest players out of all of the punk rock bands that Agreed. were east bay ray was phenomenal phenomenal and yeah. dh is an incredible drummer drummer yep yeah so it, it 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 just was you know it's often overlooked and that's a long-winded way to say that for the most part, the people that I've interacted with have all been good. But I've also learned because of my own um, failures at communication in these instances that it is 99.9% .9 about the timing of when you have these interactions. Um, when somebody comes up to me after a show and spills their beer on me and hugs me really hard and slaps my back and physically hurts me, yeah. And then I go like, what the fuck? And I lose my cool. And then that person goes, oh, I met Chris from Antifa. Like he was an asshole. 
And I'm like, but you didn't tell everybody that you beat on me and spilled a beer on me. And, you know, but I've learned like, oh shit, like I have to be, you have to be in the right headspace. Yeah. Post show dripping with sweat in the peak of the adrenaline that goes into the discussing these ideas and playing and performing it's maybe not the best time to go up and tell somebody how you feel about them or what their art has done for you, you know? So there's never really a good time, you know, because if it's like, yo, I was the first person at the venue and I've been waiting all day to meet you. It's like, well, this sucks for us because we haven't showered and we feel like shit and we've just been arguing for four hours (laughs) and we've been in traffic. And then we have to talk to the person who probably cares the most about everybody else. And, that's a really delicate relationship. So I've consistently tried to be better at that and more cognizant of that and, and to be kinder. Um, and I'm hopeful that some of this Kung Fu shit helps with, <laughs> with that. Too. Um, but, um, I would, to answer your initial question, Tom Morello is the most valuable person that we've interacted with and has had a lasting impact on us. Um, in 1999, we did a tour that was fucking awful. Um, we actually left the tour about three quarters of the way in because it was just too violent of a place. It wasn't a thing that we wanted to be a part of. We drove straight from Texas to Pittsburgh. Justin stayed in his bunk the whole time, which seemed odd to us. We later found out there was a carbon monoxide leak and it was slowly killing him on the drive home. Uh, he went right into the hospital um while he was in the hospital we were kind of at a loss for what to do um we were concerned so we thought we would do a kind thing and we went to his parents house to rake their leaves because that was one of the things that he would have done right uh, off tour we're raking the leaves and i jokingly say hey i saw this video from this band rage against the machine they seem like a band we should play with yeah and I, I, this was 99. I was 17 at the time. And, um, the other guys in the band just laughed and they were like, that's a band on MTV. They're not going to take us on tour. What are you talking about? And Pat made a joke. He said, well, why don't you call Greg, um, who worked at go-kart records, who was our label at the time. Why don't you call Greg and see if he, um, maybe knows somebody who you could confess your love to Rage Against the Machine for. So I said, okay, I'm going to do that. I called Greg at go-kart. I left a message. I later got a phone call from Greg. And he says, hey, Chris, I just got off the phone with Tom from Rage Against the Machine. He likes your band and they want to take you on tour. And I said, oh, that's awesome. You got my message. And he said, what? I said, I called earlier today to ask you to call someone from Rage Against the Machine. So apparently – Unbeknownst to us, Tom had been trying to track us down to invite wow. us on the Battle of Los Angeles tour. And um, he uh, he finally found us. <laughs> and the, happened to be the same day. And wow. Uh, we've become great friends and you know, he's appeared on a handful of our songs and he's just our band mentor. Every yeah. decision we make, you know, from signing to the major to the th- the songs that make it on our records today. He gets he gets them before anybody else, and he chimes in, and he still gives a fuck. And yeah. um, you know, he didn't have to. Um, yeah. He's he's 
He's done the work he's needed to do. His legacy is forever cemented. But he's the thing that I say when I talk about Tom is he's not only the best musician I know, he's the smartest person I know. Not just because he went to Harvard, but because right. he also has survived rock and roll for this long uh, and the life that he's led. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for his expertise. And the again, one of the biggest lessons is that when I text, he writes back. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I have a lot of people, a lot of friends who have a lot less going on in their lives <laughs> and they don't text me back as well as he does. And so I consistently try to think about that for the way I interact with people who have questions or want to talk about music. And it's not a, it's never about what he can get out of it. It's always about, this is what I've learned. This is what I would do if I were you. Uh, but it's up to you in the end. And um, that's a very valuable lesson we've gotten from Tom. Yeah. He, he's um, really without equal. Um, I think <clears throat> musically speaking and just what he's done with his career, what he's done with the band and, um, and his solo stuff and his work with uh, jail guitar doors and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and, you know, he, he, he lives it. And um, uh, got a lot of, uh, a lot of admiration for him. Yeah. A good guy to have in your corner. Oh my gosh. It's the best. It's yeah. The best. Well, thanks so much for, for taking your time to do this. And, um, and I appreciate all the things that you and your, and anti-flag do for, for us and for the world. And, um, it means a lot to a lot of people, including me. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to have the time to talk to you about these things and, 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 and glad that we're friends now and, and hopeful to, um, see you later on in this year and and i'm looking forward to it at the uh black cat i already checked it out so sick yeah it'll yeah. be a good time so it's um, my favorite club in dc so you're yeah knock on wood it all goes to plan and fruition and just stay safe and fight the fuck back you do the same and fingers crossed for uh the next couple months but um yeah, yeah so take care of yourself all right brother thanks chris